Do you ever feel that you are being manipulated by another to do something you don't really want to do? Well, there are many forms of manipulation. My name is Rabbi Yitzwein of the Young Israel Aish of Las Vegas, and welcome to the Life is Great community. Right now, we are going through the principles for marriage. And you know what? Manipulation plays its role in marriage, and it's not a good role. You want to learn how not to be manipulated, and you want to catch yourself if you feel that you are manipulating someone else because this is not a good thing. It doesn't lead to a healthy relationship. And by the way, if you really want to mess your kids up, use manipulation in a bad way in front of them enough times. And yeah, you'll, you'll wreck your kids. So this is the idea. Women know <laughs> how to manipulate men. And the reason they know is because they know what makes us tick. So to the extent that a husband is weak and bends over to his wife's manipulation, this is the extent that the wife will come to actually despise her husband. <laughs> what does it mean? What are we talking about? First of all, let's define manipulation. Manipulation is inappropriate method of communication to achieve a desired result. For example, a person wants something. So what do you do? Rather than just asking, you fetch, you start complaining. You know what I'll do is I'll complain. I'll say, you know, you never come home. Why do you come home so late? You always, you're never, you don't, you don't show up on time. And what that does is it makes a person feel bad. And then they say, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll try and, you know, come home early. No, don't do that. Stop and say, honey, it really makes me happy if you come home on time. Person doesn't, you know, husband doesn't take his wife's phone calls. We spoke about this last time, rather, that you should always take your spouse's phone calls. And, um, so what happens? A person who doesn't take their wife, the spouse's phone calls. So they say, listen, I can never get you on the phone. You take everyone else's phone calls. That's manipulation. Just say, can you please take my phone call? And by the way, if your spouse is not taking your phone call, it might be that when he, he or she takes your phone call, you're not behaving in a proper way on the phone. And if the person is on, is in front of other people, he'll be embarrassed to take your phone call. So you got to be, you got to make sure like, in other words, the, the key is that it, it really comes down to loving your neighbor. It really does come into being, to being kind and considerate and saying, whatever is despicable to me, I don't want to do to another person. I, I wouldn't it be special if I went a whole day, a whole week, a whole month without saying anything or doing anything to actually make another person feel bad. So the primary form of manipulation is complaint. I'm complaining or I'm criticizing in order to influence someone to do what I want to do. So one has to be very careful that you're not doing it. You've got to be careful that you don't do it. And when your spouse is doing it, you've got to call them out on it. Not call them out saying, hey, don't be a catch. Don't do that. Stop and say, listen, you know what? I, I need you to just be open and honest with me. Just ask me, tell them, I want to make you happy. Tell me how to make you happy. Just that, that's how you have to phrase it in the positive. Now, the key to avoid to, to, to being manipulated is to add structure to your relationship. This is how there's a general similarity between the following three relationships, a husband and wife, a parent and a child, and the soul and the body. Soul should be ruling the body. Sometimes the body gets in control and takes the soul place that doesn't want to go. All right. So the parent-child relationship is the easiest to understand. 
So let's use this as an example. What happens is we all know that children crave order and structure. They really do. At the same time, children will spend a great deal of effort to overcome the structure. And if they do break through, they will be very unhappy about it. So for example, children will always try and force their parents into a later bedtime. When parents give up and give in, somehow the children feel unloved without the limits. And a child who can manipulate his parents will feel unhappy. At the beginning, they get a charge out of it. Oh, I complained, I cried, you know, I beat up my brother, I did all these things in order to what? In order to get what I wanted. However, <laughs> he'll figure out when he's older that he's unhappy, usually when he's sitting on his psychiatrist's couch. That's what that's when he's gonna figure it out. You know, so so the other day I met met a couple and so they they want I said to the kid, I said, you know, what are you doing this summer? He goes, I'm going to camp. So the parents said, Yeah, we he, he didn't want to go to camp. So I said, What happened? Well, we started negotiation. What was the negotiation? He wanted, he wanted something. Oh, he wanted to go to the Stanley Cup final. <laughs> so uh, that was too big of a price for them to pay. But the kids end up going to an NFL, NFL game this season in order that he agrees to go to camp. In order that he goes to, agrees to go to camp. So when I brought that up, I said, oh, you know, the price has gone up. You know, my kid to go to an NFL game, he had to memorize all 613 commandments for his bar mitzvah and learn the, the entire Torah reading and then do everything. And then I gave that. So the parent was like a little sheepishly embarrassed and he turned and said, yeah, you know, um, I, well, we wanted to give him this gift anyway. It was just kind of a way of giving it to him. But, but again, you know, I, a child has to know, like, you know, my parent wants to give me something good. Um, you know, the parents are willing to bribe him into going to camp. That's totally fine. But you also have to set what you did is you set a price tag. You set the standard now, so that's that's the thing. Once you set the standard of what things cost, um, you might be in a little trouble. But okay, I'm sure the parents they're good they're good people and they'll work it out. All right. So what is the ultimate? Um, what is the 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 ultimate uh, kosher conquest? Uh, a man for a man it is to figure out how to give his wife pleasure and um in every way that is that is really what life is about in a big way and um we have to recognize that part of staying away from manipulation is figuring out this is what gives my spouse pleasure um recently i was speaking with a fellow he's in his early 60s he's been very very frustrated he's never been married whatnot and i said to him i said when speaking with him, I said, listen, you're at the point in your life now, the only way that you're ever going to find a person to grow old with is if from now on you go into the relationship saying, I need nothing from this person. I need nothing from this person. I don't need this person to make me dinner. I don't need this person to, uh, to clean the house. I don't need this person to, to give me an orgasm. Nothing. I need nothing from this person. This person is purely a receptacle for my, for me to give to. She's the person now that I should give to. I should take her for dinner. She's the person to, that I can find to give her pleasure, you know, in the sexual relationship. I'm there to please her. If he changes the way he's thinking and he says, I'm just there to give. If a person says, I'm here to be a giver, then manipulation goes out the window. When you need something from the other person in order to feel good about yourself, or feel good about your life, 
then you're very, very, very subject to manipulation. And when people can manipulate, they do manipulate. And when you feel manipulated, you feel frustrated. And then after you feel frustrated, the relationship begins to crumble. So ultimately, the reason this person has gone his 60 years, and he's a good guy, he's a really, really good guy. But the reason he's never found the person to grow old with is because ultimately he becomes frustrated because he goes into the relationships needing things from the other person. So if you need something from the other person, now you're subject to their non-kosher whims, so to speak, and then you feel frustrated and then the relation crumbles. But if you go into the relationship saying, the only thing I want from this person is to be a receptacle of my good graces. That's all. I don't even need a thank you from them. If you do that, then you're not subject to manipulation and everything's fine and everything will be fine. Of course, the person that natural question to ask is, well, what if, what if they never say thank you? Well, if you need a thank you, then you need something from them. So you're in a, you're in a problem. So that's, that's really, so have structure. And once you have structure, make sure that you, um, that you, you don't need anything. Okay. Here's an interesting question though. How can we fall out of love with our wives, but never fall out of life with our, with our children? <laughs> so after all, you know, before you married, you probably did a lot of due diligence to figure out what woman would make a great wife. With all this homework, you'd never expect to fall out of love with your wife. Yet we know at least 50% of marriages end in divorce these days. So if you were asked before you had kids, even if you got a real loser of a kid, do you expect you'll fall out of love with your kid? The answer is no, I'm never going to fall out, out of love with my kid. And the reason you don't fall out of love with your kid is because you continuously, you don't, you don't bear a grudge on your children and you don't take revenge on your, on your children, but it's very possible to take, take bear a grudge and to take revenge on a spouse. And again, the idea of is uh, the difference between the two is, um, if I helped you and you didn't help me, right? Or say I refused to help you um, and bearing a grudge would be when I come to ask for your help, you'd say, well, I'm not like you, but I'll help you. But taking revenge is you didn't help me, so I'm not going to help you. So you're keeping score. So in, in, in a marriage relationship, very often people keep score. And again, when you're keeping score, that means that you need something from another person. Once you need something from another person, you're subject to manipulation and the other person may fall into the trap of manipulating you. So don't keep score, don't bear a grudge, don't take revenge. When it comes to your children, you don't keep score because you realize that your job as a parent is to give to your kids. So that's really what it comes down to. I'm not telling you that if you wanna have a good marriage, become a giver. That is something that is like obvious. I'm telling you, if you wanna have a good marriage, stop needing things from your spouse. Just be on the side of giving. That's what it is, right? Okay, um, principle number seven. Sex is not just sex to your wife. Sex equals love. Here's the difference. When we talk about relating to sex, for a man, sex is very often just sex. It's a physical pleasure. For a woman, sex does equal love. It is the primary, it is one of the primary modes of communication saying, I love you and I want to be bonded to you and I want to be one with you. So when it has been said many times that men give love in order to get sex and women give sex in order to get love, 
I believe there's a lot of truth to that. But we have to relate to the physical relationship in a different way if we want it to be successful. Part of the pleasure that men get from the physical relationship is that they enjoy the challenge of conquering a woman. <laughs> now, conquering strange women is a very low life kind of pleasure. It's not very kosher. It's not very good. It, it eventually will lead to all sorts of miseries. You, A person that has too many partners, they begin to compare their partners with each other and the partner they end up with, you know, very often is not as good as some other partner, in which case they, leave, they, 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 they find themselves unsatisfied or they find, you know, that kind of thing. There's a great clip of Rodney Dangerfield uh, giving a, uh, a comedic bit on the Johnny Carson's show. And he said, my wife and I were sitting there, you know, and nothing was happening in the bedroom. And I turned to her and I said, you can't think of anybody else either, right? Anyway, it got a big laughter. This is back in the 1970s, okay? So this is just human nature. And very often, that's what a person will do in order to get aroused, they'll think of somebody else. It has also been said that the mind is the most sexual element, the most important sexual organ. There's a lot of truth to that, a lot of truth to that. But that's because your mind should, you should use your mind for arousal and connection. The ultimate kosher conquest for a man would be to figure out how to give his wife pleasure in the bedroom. One reason it's challenging is that a woman's moods and needs change each time you're in the bedroom. So for a guy, that is, that is the process of making sure that your spouse is satisfied in the bedroom. It's an incredible pleasure and it's a challenge for many men, but you have to stop and monitor what's her mood. How is she feeling? Is now a time that she wants more affection? Does she want the non-sexual affection? Does she want the sexual affection? Does she want things going quicker? Does she want things going slower? Every time a man has to read his spouse for the purpose of giving her pleasure. If a guy says, I am there to give my spouse pleasure and figure that out, then not only will he have a, a much greater sex life, she will feel loved. If a man goes into this thinking, you know what? My primary purpose here is that we finish this process being closer together that he's not the taker, he's the giver in this relationship, then he will feel closer to her, she will feel close to her, and the libido will be enhanced. They will want to be together more often. And that, that, is, that is the key. And in this realm, by the way, when we're talking about the physical relationship, never, ever, ever use sex as a weapon. A person should never say, that, you know, my spouse said she didn't love me. You know what? I'm going to sleep on the other side of bed and I'll roll over, right? I'm not, not, I'm, not, I'm not getting affectionate. As a matter of fact, in Judaism, we have this whole area of Jewish law called Taurus Mishpacha. Taurus Mishpacha basically states that from the time a woman begins her cycle until she completes it and then adds on another seven days, then she goes to the mikvah, uh, husband and wife do not have marital relations and they don't even engage in uh, physical pleasure in terms of hugging and kissing. Okay. So basically for a standard case would be say 12 days out of the month uh, you're not, you're not sleeping with your spouse. What that does is it forces you to work on all the other elements of the relationship. Now I am a very big proponent of hugging <laughs> because a lot can be solved by a hug. 
But if a person relies on the physical relation to solve miscommunications too much, then they won't have a relationship. So this idea of 12 days a month, we're going to really focus on speaking and working things out. And then the rest of the time, we're going to use the physical, the physical relationship in order to, to bond ourselves and get closer together. So then that is extremely, extremely positive, right? And that's, that's how a person has to work. Now I want to do principle number eight. Principle number eight is huge. Principle number eight is an hour podcast in itself, but it's important to move along here. So this idea is this, a wife's self-opinion is affected deeply by her husband. So in as much as our wife's self-opinion is largely based on our opinion of her, men, you must do three things. One, think only the most complimentary thoughts of her. Two, tell her how much you're crazy about her. And three, tell others the only most complimentary things about her without exceptions. There is no exception, okay, to this. Three things, think only the good, good things about your spouse, tell her how much you, you think about her and what, how great she is, and which means you can never say I love you too many times. And number three is tell her the only most complimentary things about, speak about to other people about her. Now, there are two hindrances in doing this. The Almighty created us in such a way that we do not appreciate anyone's life but our own. We are selfish. Everybody is. And if we see our friend in a big leg cast, we still feel worse if we sprain our own toe. <laughs> right? Right? Mel Brooks, I think, said the difference between comedy and tragedy is that, that, that uh, comedy is if a man is walking down the street and he falls into a manhole and dies. Ha! Okay? Tragedy is if I stub my own toe. <laughs> That's tragedy. Okay. So the exception is our wife. We've got to overcome this drive and try and feel like we are the same person. It's a great story. There's a famous rabbi living in Israel named Rabbi Aryeh Levine many years ago. One time Rabbi Levine and his wife went to the doctor and the doctor said, you know, what's going on? How can I help? And Rabbi Levine pointed at his wife's leg and said, our leg is hurting us. Okay, and it's a famous story here, but it's because he really related to his wife's struggles as his struggles. So you have to really focus on the fact, no, she is me. So if she has a problem, I, I have a problem. Now, you might say, well, what isn't, isn't a husband's uh, opinion affected by his wife's? Very often, yes, and it's wrong. As a matter of fact, I would tell every woman, I, earlier today, I had a woman with a, a discussion with, a, with a, a woman, a single parent, a woman who's raising a son, and the, the, uh, the father does not have much to do with, with her, you know, with her son. And I said, listen, you've got to teach your son that nobody can make him happy and nobody can make him sad or angry without his permission. And that is a male trait. A male trait is the trait to say, I am independent in the world and no one else can affect my mood. A woman is naturally attached to her, a softer being, a more emotional being is naturally attached to her husband. And that's why it's important that men be strong. We live in a world that men are not strong. Men are weak. If a woman feels that she can manipulate her husband's emotions through a compliment or a degradation, she will not respect him. And if she doesn't respect him, then she will not be happy in the marriage and it will fall apart. 
So men, you've got to learn to say, listen, I have to be independent of the compliments and the degradations, feel good that I can make her happy, but it shouldn't affect my mood and recognize that a woman's mood is deeply affected by, uh, by a man's opinion. So you continuously have to prop her up in that regard. Now, number two in this is we are in a world that values fame, fortune, and power. And it is very hard to understand that what our wife does in the home is even more valuable than what we do at work. However, a person in the work world is constantly receiving praises for their financial successes and its successes in, in, at, at work. But if you are married to a stay-at-home mom, she's not getting those praises. So she needs to get those praises from you. As a matter of fact, I, you know, I, again, I know a couple, horrible situation. I mean, it's a divorced couple, but the, the wife is, is a stay-at-home mom and the, the ex-husband literally has poisoned the children to say, why doesn't mom go to work? Why doesn't mom go to work? The kids are marvelous kids. They're marvelous kids, but they're only marvelous kids because the wife, her full-time job is taking care of those kids. <laughs> That's why they're marvelous kids. And the guy is such a doomer hazel because he's like, <laughs> he's poisoning. They're like, what do you think? Don't poison. You got to realize that you have to show, a man has got to show his wife that she is the most important person in his life and recognize that if she is not necessarily out in the work world or, you know, in, in, if her world is more at home, then she's not getting the praise and the satisfaction of bringing necessarily bringing a paycheck or accomplishment outside the home. And it's, and, and, and it is, it is more difficult. I think it's more difficult to see the successes of one's children uh, and relates, you know, that, it, that, that it's me and it's because of me. So a man has to, has to, has to express that in a proper way. And, um, you know, I'll just give one last little story on this is, is that, you know, you have to, uh, make sure you do, do things. You spoke about taking a person's phone call, taking a spouse's phone call, finding out ways to show they're valued. There was a fellow one time I was learning with on this, uh, and, uh, this material had a good marriage, but, uh, in discussion, he used to shave and, uh, leave his, you know, his whiskers all over the bathroom, right? He didn't realize he was making his, he was sending a message to his wife. Hey, you're a maid. You got to clean up after me. Guys, if you're make if your wife is cleaning up after you, then, then you're treating her like, like a maid. That's what you're doing. Now, you know, it's a, you, you don't want to do that. So again, you got to take out the garbage. You got to clean up after yourself. Sometimes you got to pick up a broom, but all of these are ways to, to show your, your spouse that you value. And that, it, that the person should never, should never feel, uh, never feel second. All right. Now let's go to your questions. And I introduce our fabulous producer, Dana Rutherford, to bring you your questions that you have sent over to me through rabbiitswine at gmail.com. So let's just take one question right now. We'll pick one and then we'll go on. We'll close it up for today. Thanks, Rabbi Wine. <clears throat> Excellent. Hi, everyone. Um, okay, so we have quite a few. Let's pick a good one. Um, okay, this one's in line with, with what we talked about. What is an example of healthy communication about a topic that doesn't involve manipulation on any particular subject? So the generally manipulation is the idea that you're trying to force someone into doing something. And the proper way of communications is to ex express in a positive way what would make you happy and to have the other person be receptive to making you happy. And, but 
bad manipulation is what can I do in order to force the other person to doing my bidding? And it's not in a, it's not in a proper or straight way. So that'd be that. Let's do one more. Cool. Okay. <laughs> so there's another good one. It says, how do you decrease the competition in a marriage, especially when you both are highly competitive people? Uh, you know, there are some people that that's part of the romance, uh, you know, competing, right? You know, like we're going to play ping pong, all these beach and ping pong, uh, you know, with that kind of stuff. But as a general thing, you have to view the other person as yours. And, you know, we, we say, listen, one of the great character traits that we that is praised throughout the Talmud is an eye in tov, a good eye. A good eye basically means that when someone else is successful, I am very happy. And by viewing your spouse as an extension of you, whether it's the wife to the husband or the husband to the wife, so then it's not that, you know, the, if the other person wins, you, you, you won because the other person is you, that kind of stuff. And uh, so I think that that's really how we have to work it. All right. Thank you so much for being part of the Life is Great community. Thanks for listening to the Life is Great podcast. Share this with your friends and they will love you for it. If you have questions or comments, please email me at rabbiyitzwine at gmail.com. That's R-A-B-B-I-Y-I-T-Z-W-Y-N-E at gmail. For more content, check out our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Thank you to Dana Rutherford for producing today's episode. And remember, if you decide to make it a great day, then your life will be great. Thank you for listening and being part of the Life is Great community. To keep these podcasts and other awesome programs available for free, please consider making a tax-deductible donation at yiaishlv.org backslash contribute.